Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 208 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I love digging into people's stories, and a friend introduced me to Dana Spinola last year, and she has a fascinating story. She's the founder and CEO of a chain of boutique clothing stores called Fabric, They are in multiple states. They have over 40 locations. And she has a fascinating story. I mean, I just just love hearing leaders' journeys. And you're not going to be disappointed if you're in the church space, if you are in the business space. I think you're going to love Dana's story. And there's some surprise twists to it as well. So she's my guest today. Super excited to have her. Uh, They have won numerous awards, have been featured in numerous national publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Elle Magazine, and many others. So I think you're going to find that fascinating. Hey, I want you to think about how you're training your leaders. Uh, As you know, Trained Up has been a partner on this podcast, and so many churches are switching from analog training to digital training. And here's why. The traditional rate of a church training its volunteers is about 60% effective. In other words, Four out of 10 in in most churches, four out of 10 volunteers have never been trained, which on the one hand is kind of like, oh, that's not great. When it comes to child safety, that's terrible and abysmal. And how can you possibly get 100% of your volunteers trained? Well, the answer is to stop doing your training on a Wednesday night or a Saturday afternoon or Sunday after church because you're always going to get selective attendance. If you move it online to an app, you can increase your rate to 100%. First of all, your insurance company is going to be thrilled. Secondly, your mission is going to be far more effectively accomplished. And third, you're going to have a way more motivated team. Now, you're saying, I don't have time to move my training online. Well, they actually have pre-built video courses, meaning you can get started tomorrow. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off for life. So go to trainedup.church today and book a free demo. It takes about 15 minutes. You can make up your own mind. And if you decide to partner with them, use the code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y. You get 10% off for life. Now, one further word. If you reached out to them in the last month or so and you haven't heard back, this is every CEO, lead pastor's worst nightmare. They had a small glitch in their software system. Yep. So uh, they love you. And what we'd love for you to do is reach out to them and let them know, hey, I am still interested. They would love to work with you. So if you haven't heard back, uh, would you just send them another note? Just head on over to trainedup.church and say, yeah, man, you know what? We we are interested. They would love to hear from you. And uh, by the way, the glitch is fixed. So go to trainedup.church, use the coupon code CARRY, get 10% off for life. And uh, we talked about training your volunteers, but here's another question. What are you doing to move your personal needle forward as a leader? And I know a lot of churches are stuck, and that's exactly where Lee Kreitcher was a number of years ago when he went back to the church he founded and found it in tremendous decline. And since then, they have become a rapidly growing multi-site church, and he did the tough work of transitioning their church through change. 
This October 2nd and 3rd in Pittsburgh, PA at Amplify Church, the Future Forward Conference is happening, and it's designed to inspire and equip the church to fully engage the next generation. So maybe you're looking out there and it's like, wow, there's a lot of gray hair here. Um, you got to get to the Future Forward Conference. Feedback from last year's conference. They did it for the first time last year. Well done. This is just what we needed. Uh, others said the topics were perfect. And someone said the speakers communicated with passion, honesty, and understanding about doing everything we can do to reach each new generation with God's deep love for them. And isn't that kind of what you want to do? So what I'd like you to do is head on over to futureforwardchurches.com and you can register for the Future Forward Conference now. That's October 2nd and 3rd. And rumor is I may be speaking there. So I'd love to connect with you. You can register you and your team. There are incentives for team registration and that's futureforwardchurches.com. Head on over today and get your church positioned and equipped to reach the next generation. And finally, we are just two weeks away from launching my brand new book, Didn't See It Coming. It's about the seven greatest challenges that honestly cap the leadership or just take out so many leaders. They're all the soft things nobody talks about, stuff like cynicism and pride and so on. If you haven't yet pre-ordered your book, head on over to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com and you will get all kinds of pre-order bonuses. We're doing uh, a lot of fun stuff, including some exclusive sessions with me and a whole lot more. I'm not going to tell you all the details, but you know, you can buy the book after September 4th and get the book or for no extra charge, pre-order now and keep your receipt and we will hook you up with all kinds of bonuses. Uh, if you've already pre-ordered and you're like, what, there are bonuses? Uh, yeah, just head on over to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. Show us your receipt. You're included too. So excited about that. You guys have been so amazing. Uh, it's been an incredible pre-launch so far. Uh, we have great hopes for September 4th with the launch of Didn't See It Coming. Head over to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. And that's it for now. Without further ado, here is my conversation with founder and CEO of Fabric, Dana Spinola. Well, Dana, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. When we were chatting, you said you just got in from Turkey, like an overnight flight, and you got in this morning and... Man, I'd be in bed or something like that right now. That's incredible yeah. that you're here. <laughs> I came back just to chat with you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, spent a little time on a boat, tried to have a vacation. It was kind of amazing. So my head's clear and ready to ready to go. Your husband was telling me that you don't uh, vacation particularly well. No, oh, it takes me two days just to realize that I'm not supposed to be doing anything and there's no to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am uh, familiar with that tension. Yeah. Anyway, I'm really glad you're here. And I want to go back to, um, well, the beginning. So, I mean, right now you're founder, CEO of a very successful company, Fabric, uh, growing large. We'll get into that as the interview goes on. But that was not inevitable. Like it didn't start out that way. Uh, in fact, I think you have a lot in common with one of our recent guests, Shannon Miles, who was bonus episode 18. If you want to look that up, you and Shannon are friends. And uh, neither of you came from a background of plenty or a lot. Like it's not exactly that you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, was it? No, there was no silver spoon when you grow up with two starving artists. Um, there's no silver spoon, but there is a, a lot of passion. So it's kind of a grit driven culture just to kind of move forward. That's kind of how 
how I started. So, I mean, my dad's got long hair. So does my mom. They were just two hippie artists that, you know, met when they were 18 and just fell in love with the whole idea of, you know, making the world a better place and what's your passion. And they told me daily, I, again, I used to laugh at it, but they used to say, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. And I didn't really all the way understand that statement because again, we didn't have really any money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, are you guys working? I, I didn't really understand what that was, but um, yeah, my mom made all my clothing. Um, you know, I, every penny I got, I would contribute it to my Vogue magazine collection and just wallpaper my entire walls um, with fashion, but we couldn't really go shopping. We would go and put things on layaway. That's why my mom and I always joke we would go and... Oh, wow. I remember layaway. layaway. But it was what, it was the experience of, of shopping or feeling like you could go and shop, but you didn't really actually get to go back and get the items. But yeah, my mom would just pin those clothes on me. And I just remember being like, oh, someday, you know, we're just big dreamers when you grow up with, with two artist parents. Um, they were always just telling me like, you know, dream what can be and just follow it really strong and really hard. And uh, we'd sit around the table and actually do what we kind of call kitchen table dreaming. My mom would be like, okay, Dana, so, you know, if we had a lot of money, what would we do? And I I always joke that I would say I buy a fake Louis Vuitton bag, which she's like, hold on, we need you to dream bigger. <laughs> like buy a real one. <laughs> Even bigger you're dreaming. Than that. But yeah, they, um, lots of love and lots of just, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a faith base at that time. It was really just about being good to people and being good to the world and kind of, you know, giving back. So that's how it kind of all started. Now, does it surprise them that they have a CEO for a daughter, like two artists? I think a little bit. (laughs) They, um, I remember, you know, when I left to go to college, um, you know, it's the first, you know, kid going to college, neither of them went to college. So it was that idea of just go and make, get a major that makes a lot of money, really. They just they thought they didn't want me to go through the same struggles they had, not having money um, initially. Um, so I did that and I got a, you know, walked into college first day to the counselor's office, said, give me a major that makes a lot of money. And they said, well, there's management information systems. I'm like, I'll take it. I didn't really know. Really? What it was. That was it. Okay. <laughs> I read an article that said that when you were five, you were asked what you wanted to be. And your answer was the best. Is, is that true? Is that terrible? It's funny. It's, you know, those little in kindergarten, those little pieces of paper, the little line, and you're learning how to write for your first, you know, couple words. And they said, you know, what do you want to be? And friends were like, doctors and teachers and moms and dads. And I just wrote the best. It, like it was a, a real you job were five, out there. Like <laughs> literally five. Where do you think that comes from? You know, I think it's a lot of things. I think um, I think some people, you know, is, are leaders made or born? I think that's a big question. But I'm the first child. Um, I watched my parents closely. I watched them. You know, they're both entrepreneurs. My dad being an artist and having a gallery and a a framer and my mom, you know, just trying to make ends meet truly. Um, And watching all that happen, I was always kind of like, how can I, you know, take this scenario and make it better for the people around me, including my little brother and sister. I was always like, you know, bringing them when I did start working at Deloitte, um, you can fly home on the weekends and I would fly them up to be with me. I was kind of like that leader mentality of how can I make this better and make this world better? So I was pretty much on fire since I was little. A lot of sports. I was always like the 
um, leader and just uh, raising my hand, sat in the front row of every class, kind of that straight A kid, just always pretty on fire. If if I'm going to spend time here, why not pour everything into it? A little annoying, I think, to be around at times. (laughs) Was there ever a time in your childhood where it occurred to you, like when you realized, hmm, we don't, we don't have money. Yes. And it's funny, you know, to be what I thought was so smart. I just said straight A's and not to catch on to that just shows what incredible job my parents did. But I remember in sixth grade, I'll never forget this. You know, again, mom making all my clothes and there'd be a trend that would be in, in school and in middle school and middle, sk- middle school kids are a little rough. And there was these shorts, they were called jams and everybody had them and they were like, cool. They were... They, odd, but they were almost like Bermuda shorts, right? And my mom, <laughs> my mom would make them and everything she made, she put a little um, label on the back that said made by Anne, her name. And I was dressing in the locker room, getting dressed for soccer. And a friend of mine saw it. They said, those aren't jams. Those are made by Anne. And I just perked up with the biggest smile. Like, I know my mom made them. And she said, your mom made your jams. Are you guys poor? And I was like, huh? I've never, ever, ever thought that. So went home that day and said, hey, mom, I mean, question, are we poor? And she was like, no, sweetie, we're not poor. We are rich in like so many ways. We, we definitely don't have as much money as your friends, um, but that's, that's not an issue. Like, it's not a problem. And I just remember being like, got it. I mean, we played games like try to find your lunch money under the sofa, you know? <laughs> really? Like, mom, we just played yesterday and there wasn't any, but I started early kind of realizing, you know, let's sit next to your friend at lunch and all that kind of cool stuff. And, you know, I don't know you ne- how beautiful is that as parents to never get it that you didn't have a lot of extra money. Dana, that story almost made me cry. I mean, I, I mean uh, hey, it's obvious you love your parents and uh, yeah, kids can be cruel. I'm curious, how did that realization that, okay, we don't have a lot, like how did that or did that shape your approach to business and even to success? Because it's very easy when you realize, wow, my family doesn't have a whole lot to say, okay, I guess I'm not going to college. I guess I will not be successful. Like sometimes that becomes a cycle. Yeah. Or did it motivate you? Like, how, how did that work in your case? Well, I'll give you, you know, kind of the, the end game and tell you what happened, but it's a mindset, right? You know, I, like I said about going to college, I went to college and said, hmm, I guess I'll make a lot of money because my parents didn't have the money and then I'll be successful and, you know, we're, it's all good. So I did that and I, I hit a time when I was working at Deloitte Consulting right out, out of college, I had, you know, as many job offers as I could. It was such a, a mind-blowing time. And so I picked a great a great position and was traveling the nation. I had places, you know, in San Francisco and Chicago. And it was, you know, they pay for your dry cleaning and I'm sitting in meetings with CEOs. And it was kind of like, I've arrived. You know, I guess I would check that off my list. And I remember being in an airport one time um, in California and there was no cell phones. I called my dad from the payphone, and he was like, so how's it going? And I'm like, I think, I mean, it's, I guess it's going awesome. You know, I have like money in the bank. Um, you know, not a lot. Cause once you make a lot, you spend a lot. So it was kind of like, I was learning how to right, uh, get that. But he said, so are you happy? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I think I'm really happy. I mean, look at everything I have. And he said, do you love what you do? It's like, is this your passion? And I was like, when I wouldn't say passion, 
I just, but it, but it's all looks good on a resume. So I think for me, that was a big moment of, oh no, like it kind of from that moment, I mm. knew what was going to kind of start churning. It was always there, that little like tick that, you know, you have of like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? So I had that moment kind of changed it for me. And I started on a path of, and I went to interview all the women partners at Deloitte and hear from them. How do you have a family? How do you make time for your husband? I didn't have any of that then, but I always wanted a big family and it was always going to be so important to me. So I wanted to know how that went from, you know, into my regular life of leaving on Sunday night on a red eye, flying back on Thursday and this lifestyle I had and um, found out that was going to be really hard to do. They, those women luckily were pretty honest with me that not many of them had kids and you know, they dedicated a lot to their career and I was full on ready to dedicate to my career. But I think I realized I had to get back to if you love what you do. Peace. Hmm. So there was that thing. Well, what what was your job at Deloitte? Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it's still it's kind of a little bit of my, you know, what I love about business, but I was a computer consultant, meaning I walked into companies. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Office Space, it kind of reminds me yeah, of that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, and, and yeah, totally. And I'd say, okay, yeah. guys, how do you run your business? And I'd process map it out. And then I'd figure out a way to make it better. You know, I'd streamline computers and technology and roles within the organization. So I went, I was a month out of college sitting with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies hmm. kind of explaining this mindset. And, you know, now I know as a, a CEO of my own company, that fresh perspective was pretty awesome. So that part was That's exciting. Cool. It wasn't, yeah, <laughs> wasn't like I was in a, a dead end job that I, that didn't get me out of bed in the morning and I didn't love. Yeah. So it became clear to you that if this was something you were going to pursue into your thirties, it would make like family and having kids difficult. Yeah. But um, I'm curious when it comes to fashion, when, like, how old were you when yeah. you first expressed an interest in fashion? Probably around one or two what? years old. Seriously? <laughs> one or two? You know, I talk about that. It's, some things are just in you. I mean, I can't remember when I didn't just love every piece of it. I have three sisters and I have one sister who's exactly the same yeah. way from my earliest memory. She's been all about fashion. Well, and I remember talking to my sister and my friends and just said, I mean, is this all you think about? And they said no. And that's when I started to realize, okay, maybe this is truly me. You know, not it's not just a typical every girl loves fashion. I loved it in a way that, I mean, just staring at those magazines every season. When I'm 10 years old, I'd re-wallpaper my entire room for the next season of Vogue and, you know, Elle magazine. So I think that, but once you get that heartbeat, you know, that was there, but I didn't know it could be a real job, right? So I was kind of struggling with the idea of, making money, which was kind of how I was going to define success versus long game. Mm. You know, it's hard to take a risk and start kind of over when something's going what looks like a really good direction or as people, as the world views as a really, you know, great resume life. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but like fashion isn't in and of itself inherently profitable, is it? No, I mean, you, you take a job in New York as an intern for free and then you pray that you work yourself all the way up, right, you know, right. and you don't, you know, jump into Atlanta, think you're going to have a fashion brand. Um, that's not usually how it worked, especially 15, 16 years ago. So yeah, it was a, it was a big risk. So catch us up. How did you decide to start Fabric? Yeah. Um, well, obviously you got the background that it was, you know, the heartbeat was there mixed with the idea of my long game of, you know, I want to be a mom. I want to, I mean, I wanted 10 boys. Who wants 10 
sons, right? I wanted, you know, a husband. I wanted to cook him dinner on a Tuesday night. I didn't want my running shoes to be across the country in another um, hotel somewhere. So it start that started ticking in me. But the the thing that really did it, which is just so crazy, um, you know, all these these big broken moments in your life that you're like someone just shattered my life and it's over. It's really the beginning. It was a, it was a boyfriend breakup. I was dating someone. We met at Deloitte, um, you know, and we, he would move to New York and I was going to be moving to New York with him and start this whole, like the energy of the city. It was supposed to be kind of what path made a lot of sense to me. Um, what's next, what's bigger, what's better. And, um, on my birthday, um, he didn't call. I'm like, huh, you know, packing up my stuff. I'm going to be moving there, start our life. He looked at rings, everything. And, you know, every romantic comedy that you can imagine called him on my birthday. He answers kind of girl answers, just, you know, literally the shattered dream moment when you're like, okay, my life's going to look a lot different than I thought it was. So, but so I think that he was seeing thing, someone else. And... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, I it actually, kind of talked to him about it the other day and he doesn't even remember the someone else. It was just those moments for me that it was like, that's, I can remember every moment of that because when you have a direction of your life and it's like, everything goes into slow motion when you're like, okay, this is over. And, you know, telling my friends that I need to find what makes me happy. I cried for a month, you know, just the dramatic girl, poor me, what's going to happen and gave myself a couple weeks of just wallowing to really just like a Terminator. I, I don't know. God just created this like relentless Terminator. He'll let me, you know, be a wimp and, and cry it out and it's all over. But I'm pretty quick to jump back on the side of hope building what's next. This, there's must be a clearing for a reason. So I spent that time like online tests and what do I want to be when I grow up and what possibly. And so everything led to opening a boutique. And I remember my dad kind of like smiling, like, go, 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 you know, like that's really what it was. And my mom does the like mom, you know, what every good mom should do is hold on, sweetie. Have you thought about this? <laughs> You're going to be losing, you know, there's no more money coming into your bank account if you start your own business. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going to be yeah. where you don't want to be, right? Right, right. And you have to make, I mean, I had to make a pretty clear decision between a, a healthy paycheck and a macaroni and cheese paycheck as my family calls it. So yeah, I said, I'm going to start this store um, August 1st. It's coming up on my 16, sweet 16, um, 16 years ago. And I remember that morning, I, I'm a real big goal setter. I love goals and they don't even have to be, you know, in a strategic plan though. I love that too. I just remember waking up August 1st and saying, I'm going downtown. I'm starting my company. I didn't have a company, but I, I'm going to get a piece of paper that says Fabric Boutique Incorporated. And it's going to, in a year from that date, I'm going to open my first store. And my my roommates are like, okay, um, are you allowed to, you don't even have an address. <laughs> but I did. I marched down, you know, open what I call started the company, went back, got in bed to kind of cry about my poor broken heart. And that night they took me out. And, you know, this this is just a quick little glimpse of like, a nod that this might be the right thing. That night, my girlfriends took me out and we are celebrating. And I look across the room and I was like, that guy right there, that's my husband. And they're like, Dana, no, 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 wait, don't go over there. And I just marched up. It was just a, a crazy moment of, you know, that night saw this guy and he was 
beautifully handsome, but it was really just this smile he had. And we just, I just took him in and walked over. He was with 10 guys, said, excuse me, walked through. Say, no, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to marry you. And he was like, I mean, what? Seriously? Yeah. First line, Seriously? this poor guy. Yeah. Got a company and a husband on the same, same day. <laughs> so that actually worked out? Like he's your husband? Can you believe it? I mean, I, he's, here and, and we just celebrated our you know 14th anniversary so he yeah he, he I mean he was like wait a second um can we talk a little bit before this whole marriage thing but yeah he's he taught he tells a story of of really how passionate i, was. I mean that's an awesome pickup line excuse me but you're going yeah, to be my you husband. need to hear his side to really hear it but um no it was a kind of those moments where you cannot do it or you can jump right and i feel like life presents that so often and for me i'm not I'm not scared of failure. I am truly terrified. I'm not really scared of anything. The only thing I'm terrified of is not trying something, right? Like there's so many opportunities not trying something, which I'm sure we'll talk about later when you try everything and you do too much, <laughs> that can also get you in trouble. But that's me in a nutshell. I, if it, there's an opportunity that I think is a beautiful one that God's put in front of me, I'm most likely going to lean into it. Well, wow. you, you've got to tell us more about your relationship with your husband. I mean, you guys have been married for 14 years. Obviously it worked out, but like, how did he not end up just saying to his friends, man, I had this crazy psychotic person, you know, approach me. Right. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think it's because he's kind of the yin to my yang. I am that person. You know, I'm that person that's like, Hey babe, like in church, I'll put my hand on his lap and say, you want, oh, that, you know, Andy Stanley's talking about this. Maybe we should go start an orphanage. He's like, okay, but not today. Can we do it tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, he's he's game for anything, but he is my like, let's breathe. Let's think about it. So I think that night he really, he was so kind of attracted to my 100 miles an hour because he's a, he's a steady, you know, speed limit guy, which is just a blessing in my life. You know, he sees everything very logically. He's a lawyer. Right. You know, it's, it's, black and white and it it makes sense or it doesn't and I get to use him in that beautiful way of you know every night I get in bed I'm like guess what he's like okay tomorrow we'll talk about that tomorrow so yeah yeah he's you know was on board I think he wanted to have maybe one or two kids and we're at four now and you know who knows <laughs> what, what happens there with adoption but yeah it's a um it's a beautiful journey I mean it's it's a really hard journey I'll tell you that because four kids you know, 12 chickens, frogs, and, you know, a, a lawyer, a partner in a firm that travels all the time. And then me running my company, you know, that, that piece, when you do have so many moving parts, um, you know, we're, we pass in the, at the end of a day and just high five each other. Of, Whew, we pulled this one off where there's a lot going on, but we both love that. So he's a partner in a firm and uh, what, what area of law? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's employment law. Employment so he takes law. Care of the companies. It's it couldn't be a better choice for me. <laughs> so is yeah. he on the corporate side or more like the courtroom side? Like is he drafting contracts and that yes. kind of thing? Yes. Okay, exactly. that's what I thought. Yeah, you're like, speaking yeah. his language. He's not going to be in court with that personality. No, no. Yeah, exactly. I'm married to too a lawyer. Calm. I mean, I I get that. She's yeah, a solicitor. I'm yes. the barrister, like the courtroom lawyer. That's my personality. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I, my mom um, always joked she thought I was going to be an attorney. She's like, you in a courtroom, you know, so he kind of Oh, jokes, you'd be great. I mean, I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> you, you'd win the day for sure. I mean, we marry our opposites, right? 
it really keeps us in our guardrails, I think. (laughs) Totally. Okay. So back to the start of fabric, there's a piece in the Atlanta journal constitution that says that you went to something like 14 banks and got 14 rejection letters. Is, is that true? Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. Some of them wouldn't even take the time to send me a letter. They just like kind of sweetly laughed and smiled and said, we can't take a meeting. So yeah, if I actually got a letter, that would probably made me feel better on some of them. But yeah, so I think I watched too many movies on how you start a business. I thought you went to the bank, you got a loan, and then you started. Um, But that's not how it works. They, um, you know, need to see a really robust business plan and you need to boutiques and restaurants. It's not something that people are investing in. So I learned a lot. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, like how to lose money 101. Yeah. Humility was a great way to to start a business though of, you know, I don't like the word no. I hate it. Actually, I don't believe in it. But um, when you get a hard no, it makes you reevaluate your business. And I had to keep saying, why are people saying no to this simply because it's a boutique? So, you know, the, the crazy coolest part of all of that is I finally found a bank that would sit down with me and at least hear me out, right? And went through my business plan. And they said, why are you unique? Great. You've got a store. You think you have great fashion sense. That's not business. And I was like, Ah, oh, you know, heartbreak, you know, and it's your thing. And someone tells you that he said, go home, come back tomorrow and tell me why you're different than all of the other boutiques. Wow. And that's hard because I just thought I was different because it was me sure. founding, being the founder and just wait and I'll blow you away. Um, but I, I mean, any person I mentor now, I really make them dig into this question because it's, you aren't the business. It's got to be different. So what I did is I went home that night and I was like, why is this unique? What is unique about me that could make a different business? And what it was is that whole idea of, could you feel like a million if you didn't have a million? And that's what my mom used to always say. It's like, you look like a million bucks, right? And it was like a $6 dress she made me. And I was like, could that happen? So I rewrote it that everything under the, in the store would be under a hundred dollars. And boutiques then, that does not exist. Everything was a $300 t-shirt. And the crazy cool part would be the wow experience. So if you bought a $30 top, we were going to treat you like you were Neiman Marcus. We were going to walk your bag around, offer you champagne, stroll your kids around the store. Like all of the little things that I'd only watched in movies, like the movie Pretty Woman, like that you had to be really rich to be treated with such dignity. And instead of just being in a store and someone doing that, for just a, you know, not a $10,000 dress. So I came back and I explained this to him and it was so much of who I was, right? Like it was just like, what if you could be treated with this dignity if you didn't have all of this money? And he thought it was incredible. He's like, that's it. And gave me a loan. So yeah, really made me answer that question early on. That's a great story. And I mean, thank goodness for a banker who helped birth a better business. That, that, that was great. Yeah. Because I mean, he could have just like shut things down and said, nope, no second meeting. But yeah. he actually helped you think through something that was breakthrough, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is great. Okay. But here's the challenge. We have a lot of leaders listening right now who are leading smaller organizations yeah. and they're thinking, great. Um, so you want to treat everybody with a high-end retail experience, make everybody feel special. Right. But how do you, right. like, how is that profitable? How do you do that if you have limited resources? Yeah. You know, if you're a pastor, 
You got a hundred people. If you're, yeah. uh, a, you know, leading a startup in the business world and you're trying to break six figures, like how is that even profitable on a, on a small scale? How do you do that? Yeah, well, what I learned is service is free. I mean, it's so crazy because I was looking through my budget, right? And I had no money. And I'm like, okay, well, what can I do for free? And I still, I mean, my team, if you, if you work in my company, I'm like, the, being good to people is free. So, you know, we every day in our KPIs, we send daily statuses from all of our stores. And one of our KPIs, you know, one of our targets is, is wow. It's a, it's a wow each day. And so we have ATVs and sales goals and all the numbers that every business needs, but we have wow. And that is how did you treat somebody above and beyond today? And that's, you know, stylists will um, go to someone's house after work and do their hair and makeup or babysit their kids because during that day, the the babysitter canceled. And they just, they just do these simple little things that mean so much to our customers. Um, you know, Papa sunglasses, one of our, one of the most beautiful wow stories is one of our stylists put a pair of sunglasses in a shopper's bag. She was talking about how she was going to court um, domestic abuse case. And she was really scared to look at her her um, husband and just said, you know, keep out the haters. We love you. We got you. And just little things like that, that are so inexpensive, but you know, you can think about the top line, but also profitability is a whole nother world because I've always, you know, kind of researched other companies and you've got your huge Amazons and Ubers and all these companies that take so many years to truly just become profitable. That wasn't my goal. I mean, top line sales wasn't always my goal. It was about being good to people, figuring out what services we could, what experience we could create for free, and then making sure we made a profit off our products. But it was more about them loving it so much they had to come back instead of the $10,000 dress that they will see once a year. I mean, we see our customers weekly because they're they named themselves fabric addicts. And so it was always about <laughs> more and, you know, more frequent visits, not just because of the product, but because they miss that service and that connection. So I think it's beautiful because as I said before, I love business. Um, and I run a, a nonprofit too. Um, Free Fabric is our nonprofit we can talk a little bit about, but the best advice I ever got was run that like a business, right? You, mm. you don't just give away free things because people are really nice in order to do more of what you're doing, you know, you need to add that value and that, and that price tag to it. And people will totally appreciate that. When you look at that, I mean, I'm glad that you've got wow in under your KPIs, your key performance indicators, but you know, as you start to move forward, um, how many locations do you have now? Um, above 40. Yeah, we're opening. Yeah. A and of how many states are you in? Uh, maybe 10 or 11. I need to know these numbers. <laughs> well, um, okay. So that's amazing. But I mean, how does that exactly scale? Like, how do you inculcate that value, that practice of wow, amid so many stores, so many employees. I mean, and and in particular, I would think like you're not exactly paying employees $100,000 a year. I mean, these are minimum wage or just above minimum wage jobs. So how do you actually make sure that that value lives throughout the organization? Well, I'll say how you do it's easy. Actually, you know, having it live and breathe in your company is hard, but you reward the things that matter to you. You know, Mm. you, you, act it and you be it. And so, you know, every year we have wow awards 
and we mm. share the top awards of, of who's wowed and we tell these stories and we have it at my house at, in my backyard around my pool and just, you know, honor teams and people that are doing things. And it's, it has nothing to do with sales. It has nothing to do with anything else. It has to do with how did this person get this creative to make someone feel this incredible? So awarding it is important. Again, putting it in a KPI, making them know that these are the things that we care about. We obviously care about sales, but we, we care as much about sales as this. Um, the other thing is our mission statement. I changed our mission statement. It was high style, um, no attitude or sticker shock. That's what the first one was. It was just about being good to people and no sticker shock prices. And when I got back and, and you know, Christ came in my life and God just kind of laid everything out for me pretty clearly in Africa, I changed my mission statement to high style with heart. So it, mm. high style is clothing. It is always clothing, but right next to it is wow service, like making people leave going, I cannot believe someone treated me in that way. So I think it's really on the walls, in their face, but it comes down to when you look at our stores, when our leaders and our owners are wowing people, then it gets addicting. Until you felt it, you don't really know. You can't read it in operations manual. You can't explain to someone, we'll treat them in this way in six paragraphs. Um, we spend a lot of time figuring out how we will wow our team. So they go, oh, I mean, when you join our company, you get a wow welcome box. And, you know, it's filled with magazines and coffee and bracelets and just like, oh, you know, it's delivered to your door or wherever it is so that they can kind of get an idea of like, it's really not that many rules around it. We try to say, you know, ask for forgiveness over permission on that. We don't want it to be too strict on how you wow. But I think it, it becomes a healthy competition of how do we outwow ourselves? So you bake that into, I'm sure, the fabric of the organization and into your mission, vision, and values. But I'm thinking back to like in 2002 or whenever when you started, you're probably in the store and you're able to embody that value and, uh, you know, teach it directly. But my guess is these days you spend a lot of time at head office. How do you make sure that that value gets replicated throughout the organization? It's crazy because I think as a leader, there's so many things that are so hard that, you know, you're handling a new challenge each day that you've never handled before. But when it comes to wow, it's like, oh, I get to do the thing that the reason I got into this business. And as I think mm. you grow your organization, you get farther and farther away. Like I don't get to sit on a Saturday and sell clothing anymore. And, you know, I miss that, you know, but I, wow, I've always held tight to like, I, I had a meeting the other day with a, a, a finance team and he was just talking about how much he loved our coffee. And we have a really incredible coffee maker, by the way, at Fabric. Our lattes are unbelievable. I think it's why everyone works there. <laughs> um, but he just was like, I can't stop talking about it. And he's done so much for our organization. So we got him the coffee machine. So those are the decisions I get to make now of like, okay, yes. You know, when I get off a call with someone and they say, hey, you know, I'm a 50-year-old woman. Can I still wear distressed dress jeans? I get that, you know, her size from her assistant and send her a, an outfit. Like those are the things to me. I'm always looking for the wow. And I personally continue to keep that alive and hope that it trickles through. But don't get me wrong. There's times I walk in some of my stores and it just doesn't happen. And I'm like, it, you know, as a founder, you almost lose your breath. It really yeah, is really important. And you have to be careful to not just lash out and, whoa, why aren't we doing this? And just know everybody has an off day and have that major grace. But 
don't, you know, I lose sleep over, uh, you know, a, an experience in a store that has it off a little bit. And I expect that to be able to happen every once in a while. And it always comes with a sit down of, hey, is there a chance that I can wow you instead of a, you know, you're in trouble from the CEO. So that happens too. What are some of the best ways you've found to motivate your team? Well, clothing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll work. Yeah, we'll work for clothes. Um, It's funny. Sometimes I think that we overthink that as leaders. You know, obviously money is great. Money is so great. But there um, is a test that we do, um, Love Languages Test. And what I learned from that is everybody feels motivated in a different way. Some people want a pat on the back. Some people want you to stand up in a meeting and say, hey, you know, Allie, can you stand up? I just got to tell an incredible story about you. But other people, that will terrify them. They never want you to do that. So you have to learn how people feel that. And so doing this love language quiz, I get to know is it gifts. Um, You know, sometimes I'll I'll walk into somebody's office and we have, you know, desks you can write on and grab an Expo marker and just say, you are insanely awesome. You killed it today in that meeting and just write all over their desk. Some people, words don't do anything. So you have to know or else you're going to keep giving and the person never really feel appreciated. So I think you have to, as a manager, know what your person's, you know, how they feel motivated. Um, But clothing for us, they work at fabric because they want to serve and because they love clothing mostly everybody in our company. So understand that and build programs around that. Oh, okay. So you have like an employee incentive or an employee discount or something like that. Yes. And we, you know, if it's someone's birthday, we'll call and see what's on their hold rack and just buy them what's on their hold rack. Like like that is, um, you know, it's our love language. When I think about it for me, I'm the founder and been doing this for 16 years. And if a stylist brings me, like sometimes I'll come home and I've liked something on Instagram and they'll have a fabric bag with the item in there just sitting on my front door. And I'm like a kid in the candy shop. So yeah. I think when we know what motivates each other, um, yeah, that's that's the best way to do it is whatever your organization's about, the people working there, hopefully they've bought into it because they they enjoy what your service or your product. So figure out ways you can do that. And it's great for the company too. They're wearing your product. They love they love your product. You've got a better margin on that type of gift. So yeah, that's kind of where we start. You mentioned the five love languages. Is that Gary Chapman's five yes. love languages? Yes. Is there like a test you can use? Do you have a, what, like, is there an yeah, online test? Yeah, there's a free online test. Anyone can just get on and look at this test. It's super easy. It takes just a couple minutes to take and we'll do it at a team meeting. And really, because there's so many personality tests, right? That take hours and are so expensive. This takes just a minute. And, you know, you can really remember when you're in a meeting and you see someone, you're like, how do I shout them out right now? And you can remember which way they feel the best. Is it words or is it a small gift or, you know, is it a hug or a, you did an amazing job. So No, that's yeah. good to know. We will link to that in the show notes. Uh, that would be great. So there's been a lot of growth in your company. What have been some of the keys to growth for you? Wow. So, you know, the, the crazy thing about growth, and I, the, I've talked to enough leaders to know this happens with many of them. I didn't plan on growing. I mean, I obviously didn't want to not for the store not to work, but I did not plan on this type of growth and good and bad of all of it. You know, I remember those days, it's just me and my store and I'm selling everything and my only employee. And, you know, those days were so amazing and so hard and terrible. But 
all at the same time, right? But as you grow, I only grew because my customers demanded it. I had people coming in and saying, you need to have a store in Raleigh. You need to have a store in Austin. And so that was really hard for me because I said, well, I just made this commitment to myself to stop you know, traveling and being in all these other places. I wanted to get my roots here in Atlanta. So that was hard to decide to grow. So I think that's the first piece is when you decide to grow, you start growing. And I didn't have a team in place. So I'm just opening stores and, you know, no operations manual. Like you said, I was just, <laughs> wow, cool. And it was just me. And so you're having to train people. And, and Allie, who's now my COO, she was one of my first managers in my second store. And she said, you know, she'd find like post-it notes in the register that said like IOU. Employees would like just borrow money and IOUs. And she'd call and she's like, do we have a process for this? Um, so obviously getting process in front of, your growth is key. And right now it's just so easy to do. I mean, you can Google any type of operations manuals and you know scheduling and all the rules of the game that will keep you focused on your business if you have those processes in place. Um, I think the other piece is just people, instead of hiring like, oh, I need someone because I'm so tired, throw someone in that spot, make sure they embody your core values. Just do not bring someone into your organization that doesn't embody your core values because you'll spend most of your time will be redirected to managing people instead of back at your business. And I think that's something that I've learned now with we're in a space right now. I've just got this dream team. I've got so many people that are in line with those core values that I realized looking back, like there'll always be people that jump into your organization that's not their dream come true. You know, it's not their long term, but while they're there, they're full in. So we've struggled a lot over the years of, you know, what are our core values and do they match our teams? Why did you decide to grow? Because, you know, it was a decision. You could have stayed that one store in Atlanta, but you didn't. Why did you decide to flip the switch? Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible. It always gets me a little bit emotional. But it, again, it was kind of at that time where um, God was speaking to me about this this store, and everyone was like, "Congratulations on your success!" And I I kept being like, "What does that mean that I have clothing stores? Like, what is the success piece?" And I started this store for me. Like, it was a, like I wanted to have amazing business with clothing at my fingertips and dress people and make them feel beautiful and and all of that. But there definitely wasn't a bigger purpose. And so when I decided to grow, it was because, wow, like I have a responsibility. What what we do with fabric and what we do for our customers, just that, you know, they come in, we hear diagnosis of people before they go home, they'll come into fabric to tell us about a cancer diagnosis before they even go and talk with their husband about it. We we are a landing place for a lot of that or engagement rings when they get engaged. It's the place they come to shop. And so what I learned is like there's responsibility to customers, but to our community, when I, when we started Free Fabric, which is we started, you know, free sprees for girls escaping sex trafficking because we had so many extra clothing. My closet was busting out and a friend of mine's we had bags going to goodwill and we're like how can we use what we have with fabric this amazing customer base and all this extra clothing and these women that want to help how can we take that one step further utilize like leverage this business there's got to be a reason that god gave it to me and, and just busting at the seams to grow other than just to build a fashion empire so when we when we kind of took that pivot of Let's see how it can go outward into our community. It, there was no no choice other than to grow. And that's kind of where we are now is, 
you know, the growth into our communities with our free sprees. And every week, you know, we'll go into a safe house and volunteers, we have the best customers. Every time we put up volunteers, we'll put up hundreds and they get filled within minutes because women really do want to come spend time with these women that are leaving sex trafficking. It's terrible. But these strong women leave that into these safe houses. We come in with clothing, shop with them, remind them that they are just unbelievable. I mean, you know, she's clothed in strength and dignity and just the idea that they can laugh at their future and pray with them and just take that time out of our night. They just look at us like, I cannot believe that you took two hours to come be with me in what is mostly the toughest time of their life. And they they have just an outfit on. We dress them and they say to us, I mean, this happens almost every week. About two weeks ago, um, one of the women said to me, I was, I was dressing her and we were getting ready for the fashion show. And she said, this is the outfit I'm going to wear to go get my son back. And it's that confidence. It's that outfit, you know, that I put on that night to go. I mean, right behind me, you probably can't see it, but I have the dress hanging in my office. Yeah, I see it. I mean, I wore it the night I met my husband. I got off the sofa, I put it on. It was like my armor of like, okay, I can just put this on and have the confidence to go out and, you know, feel beautiful. And that's what free fabric does. So not only if fabric is the heart, free fabric's kind of that, that next level around our community that um, we use fabric for and our customers love it and they bring in donations. And it's just a beautiful cycle. Um, when you think about what clothing can do, um, you know, when I thought about my vision in the beginning, it was to create a place where everyone could afford to feel beautiful, right? I talked about that idea, but it wasn't everyone. I mean, these women have nothing. They, you know, have lived a life where, you know, people have told them they are nothing. And so this kind of fills in that gap for us. I'm definitely going to get into free fabric and what you do there. And for sure, I want to talk about your faith pivot and how you became a Christian. Uh, But if it's okay, I want to ask you one more question just about business. So... Um, in 2008, the economy took a massive downturn, worst recession we've had since the Great Depression. And I spent a lot of time in Atlanta. I remember everything ground to a halt, like massive construction in 06, 08, everything shut down. A lot of businesses closed around that time too. You, however, expanded, you started to grow. Can you walk us through that? I love this question because looking back, I, I just, I'm, I'm actually very proud of what happened in that that time because it was it was you know in the beginning when you take risks you don't have much to lose but as you grow and you take risks you have more to lose you and, have a and lot to lose you know, yeah yeah and you know I remember hearing that you know as you grow don't stop taking risks it's going to be you're going to want to and I remember that kind of flipping through my heart during that time of like this is an opportunity and I had friends closing boutiques everywhere. Um, That was most of my conversations are, how are you doing? How are you doing? And what I learned is it was a great time to take over real estate, you know, leases that people were not able to do. And, you know, I believed in fabrics concept so much. I still do. I believed that it, the business model um, was so strong that it was a time to grow. And it was a time for people that were going through tough times and their jobs and different real estate to take chances on becoming a franchise owner and putting kind of that control into their own ownership too. So we had many franchise owners that wanted to come in and say, I would love to, you know, take a chance right now. And I, and so the real estate was there. So it was actually a pretty strategic um, 
calculated risk that I moved forward into at that time. Did you have to take on a loan at that point or like did the company have enough money, like some cash reserves that you could do that? Because I'm curious how that worked out because, you know, at a certain point, (laughs) you always have to take a risk, but there is a line between like taking a risk, being irresponsible, seizing an opportunity and being stupid. You know, you know that line? Like, so where where were you on that line looking back on things? Like, sure, it's an opportunity, but like, was it too much? You know, it was a big risk too. Like, how did you know that wasn't just stupid? I mean, I feel like you and I need to have coffee and talk through that because that is so true. It, it's like, is can you be sure? No. And everyone's like, how did you know? I didn't know anything. You never know, right? Yeah, but what you right. do, <laughs> but yep. what you do is you say, all right, what if I didn't do this? right? If I didn't do this. But for me, it was, um, you know, jumping into expanding at that time was easy because I sat my managers down and it, gosh, them telling this, um, some of the, my managers are still in the company. I sat down at my dinner table at my house and it was before I had an office and said, listen, guys, we, this is pivotal for us. Right now, we've got to cut any expense that is not vital to our business. And they were just kind of managers like, hold on, we don't PL. What's happening right now? And I opened up my entire PLs to my managers and showed them really how it works. Because when you only see sales coming in as an employee, you're like, we're killing it. Loads of money. Yeah, we're floating in money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you don't think about operating expenses. So I made a decision then and still do now to let's bring them in to see what this looks like when you don't spend what happens. And so we never, you know, I, I took that first line and, and I've never taken on more capital since then. But I, it's one of the things I make my decisions on. I decide, do we have the capital to do this or do we not? And, you know, kind of move forward in that way. And so what we did, that's one of the reasons we franchised is a franchise owner will pay, you know, to come into the organization and pay for that build out. And then we bring the inventory in. So my whole model is based off not getting too much into debt at all. We've been a debt-free company because of that. Um, But there are times, you know, right now, the conversation is always very active with taking on investments so that you can grow to that next level. I don't believe that you can grow overnight and in the way some companies should be growing um, without that type of investment. So I believe in it. And I'm, you know, I'm always having this conversation right now. I've actually just opened up to the idea of what that looks like because, you know, growth over 16 years looks one way. If you want to grow a little more aggressively, then you you definitely, um, you don't definitely, but some companies, I think it's really smart to take on investment. No, I think that's really wise too, because I mean, I think that gives you the opportunity to move in when other people are really strapped as well, right? Right. right. And I think it it keeps you honest. You know, when you're you're putting your own money on the line and deciding if you're going to use this, it's it keeps you honest in a way that it's, not monopoly money. It is your money and it's worth doing. So um, I love it. I love the feeling of, yes, I want to invest my money into my business. Yeah. And there's something different about watching cash go down versus watching credit go up. It just, there's a different emotional response to each. Yes. Yes. And I think that's why I would encourage anybody too, that, you know, as far as you can in in your organization, get as many people as you can closer to it doesn't have to be the the profit and loss statement, but just how the company works 
Because the second they learn, wow, we need to fund, fundraise to make this happen, it, it changes who they are instead of the, just somebody that is either their responsibility to spend or to save. When they both get to see how it comes together, there's just a, a deeper perspective that I've watched my managers really just get excited about. I think that's a really good principle because I think often, Dana, in any organization, church or business or not-for-profit, the senior leader, the CEO, the lead pastor often bears that burden alone. And, you know, maybe you got someone in finance, but they just give you the bad news or the good news. And there isn't like a shared ownership of that. I think that's a really good principle. Okay. Well, it's a great thing to reward, right? Like if you get to reward a manager and said, wow, you saved 2,200 this month by buying, you know, less water bottles and creating a, a a, a big water bottle cooler, like just small things. It's innovation and it gets people excited about like, guess what I did in a whole nother way. You know, if it's about profitability in the bottom line, it, it, it is, you want them innovating in that way, not only from a sales top line, but a, how can we make this organization run better and um, me be a part of that? Now, so wise. Well, you had a big pivot in your life that happened a number of years ago. You've already uh, told us that you didn't really grow up in a Christian context and you started attending Buckhead Church, which is one of the North Point churches. And tell us, how did you even get there? How did you end up at church if you really don't have a church background? Yeah, it's just wacky. You know, when you think about your stories, you just think when you tell them, they'll, they'll be a lot more smooth and, and romantic than, and, than this one. But I just love how it, it all worked. Um, you know, I kind of joke, I don't joke, but this is what happened growing up. My, my parents... My dad kind of was like a Buddhist and the joke was that he looked just like Jesus. So people would come and spend the night at my house and they're like, oh my gosh, your dad looks like Jesus. I'm like, what? What's happening? <laughs> so there was like, it was just this strange thing that I didn't really understand anything with, with faith or with Christianity or in any really, any religions, but I knew like just about this pull to be good to people. But I was mm. always intrigued with church. The day I got my license. I could go anywhere. I could go to the mall. I could go to my friend's house. I got my little sister, put her in my car and drove to church. And because my parents, we never went to church. So I went to some Catholic church up the street. It was the first one I saw, never heard of it, just sat in the back and just soaked it all in and was so scared and terrified. I'd do something wrong or wore the wrong outfit or (laughs) passed the basket the wrong way. And I just was like, wow, what is this place? I was always very curious, but Hmm. never really um, had anyone kind of come in my life. So um, I was at the grocery store one day, and this was probably the third time that just a friend of a friend, random person would say, uh, I ran into an old friend that said, you know, you should try Buckhead. Do you go to church? I said, no, don't do that. Um, She's like, you should try Buckhead Church. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. I've heard that before. And they said, it's in a grocery store. And I'm like, for whatever reason, that was really exciting to me. I just, the, the last experience was so terrifying that I'm like, I can do grocery stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're familiar with grocery stores. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. So I, you know, my husband who kind of at the time, you know, one of the, one of the pivotal moments for us is when I met him. So the next day we went on a date or actually a couple of days later, we went on a date and I said, do you believe in God? And you know, what's, what's your faith? And he said, it's funny. I've, I've re- I read the Bible to disprove it, um, but it's perfect. And I was like, huh, whoa. Okay. Well then sounds like you, you know, love this faith thing. He's like, I, well, then I went strict faith and I'm kind of in a wandering phase. So 
So I have a logistical lawyer that's read the Bible and the Quran and everything. And I have me just this spirit of like seeking. And we kind of came together. And so I said, do you want to go to the grocery store church with me? <laughs> and <laughs> he's, he kind of promised he wasn't stepping back in, in church either. And we went because he grew up, you know, a little more structured. And so we went that day and um, it was it was just a uh, speak to me in a way that the logistics and the knowledge and the how this applies to my everyday, um, it was meant the world to me. So I think that that was the first day. But as um, we started attending, every time Andy would throw out some sort of challenge, he'd say, I bet you're too busy. This is when my faith like blew up. I bet you're too busy. Um, bet you have work, you have kids. There's no way you could pull yourself away from your busy life to to go on some sort of mission trip and kind of get a, a look at the world. It was right after the earthquake in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And we were, and they asked, you know, a group to come to Haiti. And I was like, I mean, that is me. I'm too busy for anybody else. But yeah, myself, yeah. right? <laughs> um, busy was pretty much my middle name. I didn't even answer my mom's phone calls because I'm too busy. And it just hit me really hard. And I, you know, did the hand on my husband's leg and like, I think we're going to Haiti. And he was like, all right, I'm all in. So yeah, we signed up for that mission trip. And that was the trip that, you know, I was reading um, Crazy Love by Francis Chan on the way over there. Like, right. wonder if I could find this God guy, you know, like what, wonder what it looks like and hope I get to, you know, would he, would he pick me? Would this be even something that came in my life? And my husband just has that sweet smile, like calming, like they've just, just relax. You're going to be fine. And we got over there and it was terrible. I mean, it was a terrible scenario over there, mm-hmm. right? It was right after earthquake. Everything should have proven to me that there was no God. Um, but I was sitting in a little Haitian um, church and just felt this like warm, like, whoa, like this is it. I mean, it was a, it was a moment for me that um, the Holy Spirit or however everyone defines it to me, I just knew that there was a much bigger purpose than me in this world. And and I had to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what that purpose was, um, that what God wanted me to be up to. Wow. So it was actually on a mission trip that you kind of realized that was your pivotal moment. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, I think we got back that day and um, we were staying in the top of an orphanage and, you know, every night you'd hear these, these babies kind of cry themselves to sleep. And just, it was, it was very tough. And I'd spend the day in the orphanages and my husband and I decided on that trip to adopt as well. So it was just like a heart, just explosion of like, let's figure out how we can do something in this world to make some sort of impact in a beautiful way. Was there anything looking back on it when you first went to the grocery store, your first Sunday, your first few weeks that made you say, I'm coming back? I think what made me come back is I was so curious, but I didn't feel any of the um, rules and regulations. So I thought Mm -hmm. that I could just be curious. You know that feeling? I mean, I feel it's with faith, but it's with friendship. It's with anyone of like, I can just go and mess up and not, you know, wear the right thing. I can bring my Starbucks. I can, you know, not have a clue of what I'm doing and it'd be fine. And I think that's what attracted me to the whole idea of like, I can open up my heart and be wrong or right or whatever I am. And it's cool here. So you decide to follow Jesus, you become a Christian and all of a sudden that changes your business too. How did that decision, and you hinted at it earlier, you said, I didn't 
I forget exactly how you phrased it, but you said something to the effect of, I didn't realize that you could actually run your business as a Christian and that could change stuff. So what changed right. for you after that? Right. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, I've, I've been open for maybe, you know, six or seven years and, you know, I built a team and I was a little bit nervous how I come back to my team and say, hey guys, guess what? We're a Christian company now. Hmm. Are you signing up for this? You know, I didn't know the rules of how, you know, my husband was a lawyer and I, I truly asked him, is there a form? Is there some sort of document that you complete an application to become a Christian company? And he just, you know, sweet smiles, like you just do it, babe. You just be, you just be it. And I was like, all right. Um, but I did, you know, I changed my mission statement. I, I wanted my company. And I remember sitting down at the time, my COO will talk about this and, and bringing my team around the table and saying, so listen, guys, like Jesus is leading my life. I'm leading this company. And so those two things can't be mutually exclusive. So this is the direction. I think this is what it's going to look like for you guys. I hope it becomes the most beautiful place and nothing changes and nobody wants to leave. But here we go. And, you know, as expected, there wasn't anybody that's like, well, that's, you know, not a company I want to be a part of. Um, you know, I'd already built a team around people that really wanted to serve people anyways. It just nothing formal around it. So not only that, but I said, so listen, I will pay your guys' salary if y'all come to Africa with me next year. Let's do a fabric mission trip and I'll take you guys and I want you to experience, you know, what what it is that, you know, has got me on fire for, you know, life and for Jesus and for this company and what we can do with this company. Because I, I couldn't do it alone, right? You can't come back to a company and be on fire and expect everyone just to secondhand feel that. And so my team came with me absolutely loved it. And we got to come back and just weave that into our, our day-to-day, just God and serving and, and scope, really. It changed from serving the people in our zip code to this company needs to serve this world. Wow. And um, so every year I take my company back and it's really just kind of our check space. When we, we're in fashion, That's, it's, it's vanity. It's about, you know, the idea that we want people to feel beautiful inside and out, but a lot of our business is outside. So it's kind of my pause of when you take, you know, 20 girls that are used to wearing heels and makeup and doing their hair and skinny jeans out to Africa when there's, you know, no, no restrooms and no electricity. It's just a beautiful, you know, humility, pause, recharge for, for our company. Hmm. How, what are you learning about profitability and good causes. Mm-hmm. You you also said, you know, in your not-for-profit, your free fabric, you also had to learn, okay, we got to run this like a business. There's a lot of people who straddle both worlds listening to this podcast. So what are you learning on that front? I can tell you uh, something that doesn't work. Um, when you lead with, you're not hitting sales goals. We're not hitting, let me tell, like, you know, I call a call with a CEO for my company. I'm like, we're missing goals. We're, you know, we're not performing at the level, never motivating. One of our core values is lead with heart. And when I lead with heart, when I talk about the impact we're making, when I share stories of our stylists picking up people out of wheelchairs to go up to the second floor to try on shoes, when I lead with heart, strangely, because it's not, it's not magic it does motivate people to get back to the sales. So what I think is you have to have the business model, but 
if you don't have the heart in what you're doing a lot, sometimes when people are starting businesses, they'll come and say, I really love how you did that, like that um, nonprofit marketing stuff. Like, oh no, this is not nonprofit marketing. This, I didn't add on a nonprofit so that people think I'm a giving company and it helps my sales. Right. This isn't, and, this isn't designed <laughs> to pad the bottom line. Right. And I think that, um, unfortunately there may be that, that if you're going to do that approach, it will never work. But when you teach your, your customers or your, the people you serve, why you're doing it, you know, fabric, free fabric is our heart. We're doing it for those women. And the, uh, the other piece is Asher, our clothing line. We have a clothing line and the proceeds go to orphan babies in Africa. When we tell our customers in a store, that's why, then that's that's sales, right? Mm. Like that, they want to come back. They, they, we become their boutique. They want to buy that more of that line. They want to volunteer with us. They want to know our heart. They want to know our culture. They're talking about it at dinner parties. They're like, did you know there's a clothing company that this is where they spend their time? The, it all goes together. And I don't think that you can become profitable by adding on like, hey, here's a um, some cool nonprofit stuff we do. it. If you talk about the heart and why, um, it will speak to people, I believe. How, how do you um, fund your not-for-profit? Is that donations? Is it a business model? What do you do? Yes. And I think the key, it's very much like fabric. Um, we fund it through donations, but we make sure it's minimal. Right. Like right. It, it can't be a beast that is so hard. And we've done that too. I mean, the heart that I made a huge mistake, um, you know, I guess I say mistake, but a learning lesson years ago, we've got all these clothing donations for free fabric. Right. I mean, it was warehouses and warehouses. And I thought, you know what we're going to do instead of letting all that clothing sit there, we're going to open up a thrift store, sell it, fund the nonprofit. And then we'll always have income, right? Sounds makes like sense. a great idea. Yeah, this, I wrote a business plan for it. Financially, it makes sense. What I didn't take into account is the management, the stress. I'm creating a whole new business, moving outside of my mission. Free Fabric, what we're supposed to do is just clothe the women. We were going to give them jobs at the thrift store. And you know, we were spending most of our time trying to figure out where these women would sleep at night and driving them around and loving on them. But it changed our entire mission, spending money on electricity and a new store. And it, what it does is it dilutes what you're supposed to be doing. So when you look through your expenses, which ones are vital to your mission? And you know, I, I had a conversation earlier today about this. Um, you know, we're going to create these postcards with a statement on them that makes a lot of sense for a free fabric. Mail them out to all of our customers. You get down to the bottom line, you're like, no, we could serve. What could, who, who could we serve with that money? So you have to figure out, does it go directly back into your mission or not? But partnerships are incredible. I believe in strategic partnerships more than anything for fabric and for free fabric. There are women and men and people that I run across that say, I tell them about free fabric and it doesn't, it doesn't speak to them, right? Like I believe some, each of us are uniquely made in what breaks our heart, but there are some people leading organizations that hear about free fabric and sex trafficking. And it means that's everything to them. Partner with the right people. And they want to jump on board and they want to help you. They yeah. want to help. It becomes really easy. I mean, not really easy, but it less is best, right? Instead mm -hmm. of finding 600 partners, find two that really want to go all in. 
Well, given the fact that you just uh, flew on a 20-hour flight and we're an hour and a quarter into this interview and time has flown, it's no surprise. I mean, one of the things... Can you imagine talking about fabric and free fabric all day? I, I would probably take nine hours, so we're going to have to cut me off. <laughs> oh, this is... No, it's, it's brilliant. You have so much energy and you're such a positive person. What might surprise people is you hit a wall a couple of years ago. Yeah. Tell us about that. Sure. I mean, it's funny because thank God I had people in my life that told me I hit the wall. I think I hit the wall, you know, several years ago and just found it out about a year ago. You know, I had been doing the saying yes to everything, every opportunity. I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a mom of four young kids. I have a four-year-old, a six-year-old, a nine-year-old and 11-year-old. I mean, it's, it's no joke about the energy that those beautiful kids take. And my company is my fifth child. So hmm. I can't imagine pumping the brakes on any of that, my husband, my friends. And I, I kind of started to feel the idea of, wow, I, there's not a minute that I'm not taking a conference call in a car, on a drive home, on the way to a soccer game, you know, trying to pick up groceries, making it all happen. And I thought I was pulling it off. I really did until, you know, my, I remember um, some of my team was just like, are you okay? You know, I was taking five minute meetings, Carrie, mm. like my schedule, it was so packed that there was no time to even breathe. There was no time for lunch. There was no time for anything. And by the grace of God, I hired um, a CMO uh, and her name's Lisa Dempson of February last year, um, about a, a year ago, February, February. And she sat me down on, in August, um, last of August. 2017. Yeah. 2017. And she, she actually didn't sit me down. She said, Hey, I'd love to go have coffee, like out of the office. And I was like, what? Like, I would never stop my day to go and sit and actually look at someone's eyes and have a full conversation. Right. It was going so fast. And she said, these words that like, you've got to ask somebody is she just said, are you okay? And it just, my whole world was like, I looked back at her and I said, no, I'm not. And I just smiled. And it was the most incredible thing. The most incredible showing of love I'd ever felt hmm. her braveness. I mean, she's, she hasn't been in the company, you know, six months and she's, she's asking her CEO, she said, I liked after she said that. And I smiled and she saw where I was going, my tears. She said, I'd love to offer you a sabbatical. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, if, if you tell me that you're going to take care of my kids, like you can't stop being a mom, right? right. So someone can't pop in and say, here you go. And that's how I felt about fabric. I never thought an option was to slow down. And she said this and I was like, yes, I just have no idea how to, how to do that. So she kind of opened up what would be the most beautiful time of, of my career. How funny that, you know, taking that time just re-fueled my entire career. But she said, okay, I'm going to take away your email. Here's some rules. Mm. <laughs> we came up with some guard, some guardrails and some guidelines, but she said, I'm going to take away your email address. Can't go in the stores. We're going to, you know, take two months. And I just want you to step away. We have it. And can you imagine that idea that they're going to take on a CEO's load? Everyone in my company, my owners, my managers, my stylists, my corporate team, they just let me pop out and kind of really come back to life. What a showing of love, right? Mm. 
So basically what I did, what I thought I was going to do is very different than I would recommend anybody doing. I thought I was going to take my daughter back to Ethiopia and, you know, really understand her culture and just travel and go in yoga retreats and all of the, what I would kind of call cliche, like bucket list items, mm-hmm. right? But thank God I've got a great mentor, um, Jeff Schenneberger. <laughs> I called him and I said, Jeff, listen, so I'm, I'm taking a sabbatical. He's like, hold on, <laughs> let's breathe. But what he said is, why don't, you know, we kind of talked about, why don't I just try to live my life, right? Like, why don't I just try to wake up, do some laundry, you know, take a breath, cook some breakfast for my family, just try to live my life in that time. And, and that's what I did. I, I um, opened my inbox. I had a hundred thousand emails unread. I just deleted them. Nothing, oh. nothing happened. The world didn't stop. You can actually do that. I think I think you win the contest. That is the highest number I have ever heard. A hundred thousand unread emails. Okay. You know, people forgive you and they get back in touch with you. And I, you know, cleaned out every closet, the proverbial closets, the literal closets, and just kind of really tried to go back to the basics, started drinking water, taking jogs, calling my mom back, you know, just doing those things the day to day that I'd gotten so far away from. And then I just kind of spent this time of how do I get back to me? What I learned is that I got my, I just didn't know who I was anymore. My soul was there. I had a lot of beautiful things and I was too scared. The heart of it is I was too scared to tell anyone that I was crashing because from the outside, I had a great, great kids, great husband, you know, house and a car and chickens and a, a company that, you know, is so incredible, a nonprofit. There wasn't anything. So how could I be so ungrateful to tell everyone that I was, you know, it was too much and I was, you know, crash and burning, right? So luckily I got, you know, I went on a silent retreat. I would say of all the things I did, that silent retreat was um, kind of life-changing for me. Was I that at a monastery, if I remember right? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, right up the street. I didn't even realize it's right up here in Conyers. And um, yeah, what I got to do was go up there for four days and not talk. Oh my gosh, silent. <laughs> and I fasted during that time. I just kind of went back to like baseline, me, and um, journaled and kind of came back into my life of, instead of adding so much on, I'm just going to put the things back in my life that I believe really, really matter. And at that time, um, we talked a little bit about the the article that came out in our in our local paper. They started as a um, Dana Spinola, having it all. The title was going to be about having it all. How do I do all that that I just explained? And, you know, we were sitting, I was sitting with the editor, the writer and said, listen, you know, two weeks into this process, can I just tell you the real deal? Can I just tell you all the brokenness? You know, what's that? Is Are they going to even want to write this story? But I need to share with someone and I'm not sharing with my close friends and my family. I'm sharing with a writer for a magazine. That's because it was a place that I'm like, I guess I can just finally just go big and be super vulnerable. And I was terrified, but I'm like, I can no longer live like everything is is perfect as everyone thought, right? So yeah, just told her the real story. And I will tell you of all the beauty that came out of that. I was in New York. My husband's scared to write it, um, read the article. And it came out and said the pitfalls of having it all. And it felt so good. It just felt so freeing to know that everyone, I mean, my text, I had, 200, 300 texts just adding up of the people that were reading it going, man, I'm in the exact same place. I'm in the exact same place. I'm in the exact same place. So it was such a, it was perfect. And I walked in, I think of the last piece of that, 
um, vulnerability that I just challenge people now, put it out there because someone's feeling the exact same thing. I pulled into carpool at my at my son's school and the teachers and the moms got out of their car and they all just gave this hug of like, thanks for saying it. You know, we all kind of walk around acting like we've got it all under control. And, you know, it's hard. It's beautiful. And I had old friends just text and just say, hey, like, thanks for sharing what it what it's really like to break and then rebuild and refuel. When you look back on that, you know, 15-year run before your sabbatical, what do you think, like you see things more clearly now, but what yeah. would you say to yourself? Like, what did you not see that you look back and go, you know what? I should have paid more attention. Well, listen, I saw it. I just, I guess it's ego. I guess it's that. I, I don't know. I saw it and I just said, I don't have time for that. I'm, I'm better than that. I'm stronger than that. It's weak to, to, to take care of yourself, to even slow down. Like there was a weakness in it for some reason. And once you see the light of, you know, it's, it's the airlines. You've got to put the mask, the oxygen mask yeah. on yourself before you can take care of anyone. And I, I get that now. I mean, I wasn't taking good care of my team. They were, they knew I wasn't giving my full, I was snappy. I was short. I was like, get that done, execute on that. I don't have time to sit down and talk about our mission. Really? You want me to inspire you right now? I'm going on 1% battery life. So what I learned is same thing with my kids. You're like, get your shoes on, get your backpack. Let's go. My husband, I'm like, you know, time for date night, babe. So what I learned is if you actually do fill yourself up, it's not selfish. It's actually being so kind to those around you. Then you can inspire and go back to what you were supposed to be doing the whole time and lifting other people up. You're just shooting out on empty, if not. So I think now, it, once that happens, um, you build a wise council of, if I get close, tell me again. Like my team, we have an emoji now that they'll send if I get close to that, like, too much, you know, midnight texts, like, hey, let's get this done. They'll be like, it's a little emoji with a little zipper mouth. It's like, all right, Dana, let's let's slow this down, you know? So you got to build back in those people. What is different now? Like if you look at two or three major changes you made coming back, because that's not a long sabbatical, two months. No. That's, a, no. that's a pretty short window for a total reboot. Yeah. What is different now? You know, what I learned, I was trying to, you know, my conference, when I came back to my company and kind of sat down, you know, shared with them, what did I learn? I really think the key was, it's not about balance, right? Like, you can't predict your days and I can't balance them to spend 50% of my time here. And this is going to, I learned it's about presence, right? Mm. So where I am, if I can mm. just be present, and even if it's only two minutes, like I remember the first time my sabbatical, I went up to my my son's room. Who's he's the kid that just begs me, you know, nine more books, please, mommy. You know, one more book, one more book. And I think I read him fifteen books that night, and I was more present than I've been in years reading those books. And I realized if I can just be present, not thinking about the nineteen other things I have to do in that moment, then I'll go to the next thing. So I believe I learned to be all in where you are not thinking about what's next and let the rest happen later. That was the, that was the key takeaway for me that, um, you know, I, I check in with my husband and he's like that, that's it. You know, when, there's no phones at our table. There's no wait a minute to my kids. There's no wait a minute to my company. You know, I'm, when I'm in a meeting with them, I'm like, what do you need from me? And asking that question, what do you need from me? Instead of do this, do this, do this. 
You have 20 or 30,000 very driven people listening right now. Mm, yeah. You got some advice for them? Yeah. I, I can't even sit here with an honest heart and tell them to slow down because that's just not what I'm... Because you're making. still, yeah, you're getting off a flight and having a long yeah. interview with me. I know. Okay. So it's not slow down. Yeah. I, I actually took a vacation with my husband and, you know, there was no Wi-Fi and I, um, I'd say to go as, as fast as you can, but take those breaks, put in those stop signs. And, you know, I don't, I, I believe we have one life. I really do. But what's important to me is that I understand why I'm living it. And that my purpose is, is my, that vision is very clear. And when I wake up in the morning, you know, that, that purpose is the first thing I think about. Um, and if somebody says, Hey, can I have coffee? Don't accept the coffee unless you're going to really be listening to what they need from you or what <laughs> that time's going to be there. So that's kind of my my I, my guardrail around that for now. Dana, this has been fascinating. We'll link to everything in the show notes. But if people want to know about fabric, free fabric, and you, what's the easiest place to find you online? Yeah, so our company's website is fabricstyle.com. And we've obviously linked to freefabric.org. Um, and my Instagram is Dana Spinola. So you can find me there. There you go. That's where you live on Instagram. Dana, time has flown. Thank you so, so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed our time. Man, I just love hearing stories like Dana. And if you want more, you can head on over to the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 208 or use the Googles and you will find her on episode 208 of this podcast. And uh, yeah, pretty easy to find the show notes. All the links to everything we've talked about is in there, including trainedup.church and the Future Forward Conference, which is happening October 2nd and 3rd in Pittsburgh. That's futureforwardchurches.com. And of course, we got that little book launch thing happening, which I'm very excited about. Didn't see it coming book.com for that. Next week, we're back with a fresh episode. I talked to a leader who's been on this podcast before, but I wanted to catch up with him. He's got an incredible story and he's young. Uh, I checked into the demographics for this podcast recently. And I mean, most of you are way, way younger than I am, which is awesome. Uh, actually, biggest age group, 35 to 44. Number three, People in Brady's age group, and actually we have a measurable percentage of teenagers listening as well, like 18 to 24. Uh, that's a thing on this podcast, which I think is incredible. Brady's 27, and he started out in the entrepreneurial world church space when he was, oh, I think about 21, 22, and is crushing it, like doing an unbelievable job. He is the guy behind Pro Church Tools. And I sit down, catch up with Brady next week on the podcast. Here's an excerpt. Even we have this uh, staff page, single click template with a nucleus because we're like, look, this is one of the most visited pages on your site. You're probably going to forget it. You're going to think it's not important. But we found again and again, and you're a perfect example of this, people go there. And the people that are going there are the new visitors. That's next Tuesday. Hey, subscribers, you know you get this free. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you loved this episode, would you do me a favor and would you share it with somebody? And maybe head on over to iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen, and just leave a review. We have, like around the world, well over a thousand reviews on this podcast, over 750 in the U.S. Apple Podcast Store alone. Thank you, guys. Thanks for getting the word out. We really appreciate it. Also, coming up, 
Uh, I sit down and have a long conversation with Ann Voskamp, who picks my brain. First time for her on the podcast, will not be the last. We have all kinds of bonuses coming up around the launch of my book. Uh, Also coming up, had a fascinating conversation with Andy Stanley. There's a lot of talk about his new book, Irresistible. uh, And we've got that next month for you. Francis Chan is on. Uh, We got John Gordon, Nancy Duarte. Had a amazing conversation with Pat Lencioni that we'll be bringing you this fall. Patrick is one of the most influential business leaders around. And again, if you subscribe, get it all for free. How about that? So excited to spend this time with you today. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.